Welcome to this episode of the podcast, friends, where I am diving in and grappling with the binary of perfection and imperfection. I feel like I want to go into bat for perfection, which has been given a pretty bad rap, mainly by this idea of perfectionism. As you'll find out if you stay tuned, I'm not saying perfectionism is the way forward. Equally, I'm not saying imperfection is the answer. Where do we find the answer? Of course, we find it in the middle ground. I'll see you there. One of the things you will absolutely find on this episode of the podcast is there is no audio perfection. (laughs) I feel like I pride myself on that. And I want you to listen out for the intermissions where we have the sound of a puppy chewing a bone and regularly banging it against a metal thing, which is making this glorious cacophony in the background. And there's been a flock of black cockatoos screeching overhead, nibbling on pine cones, making all kinds of noise. So this will hopefully just be the pitter-patter of the background as we dive into perfection together. Why has perfection been on the radar? Over the coming episodes, no doubt you will hear me talking endlessly about my obsession with internal family systems. You know, I have obsessions with other things like polyvagal theory, the autonomic nervous system, people not suffering. This is my new one. It's my ADD rabbit hole that I will never get out of. And it's particularly important because internal family systems is a therapy methodology, which is one of the few things I've ever discovered that works on everyone every time. It's kind of like a magic potion. But for another time. What it's been making me think about though is this idea of the self. So I'll jump back and forwards of course, but for for non-IFS understanders, I just said I was going to talk about it another time and I'm talking about it right now. It's what you've come to love about my work. But in IFS there are four parts of the internal family system that we work with. One of them are protectors or managers, one of them is firefighters, one of them are our wounded parts or our exiles, and all of those parts are working to be cleared and integrated so we can discover the self. Imagine that as a word, see the letters, the S is big, it's the big S self. So according to IFS theory, the self is the part of us which is the essence of who we are. Now, this translates really interestingly to a lot of different philosophies. If we're staying on a sort of more spiritual track, I feel like the self is that idea of what in Hinduism would be the Godhead, what in Buddhism would be consciousness. It's that eternal part of us that is beginning and ending and never ending that in this theory we are born with and it holds the keys to our true nature and our identity. When I do values-based work in whatever setting that might be, the thing about values which is so important to people is values tends to reveal the behavioral motivators of the self. When people talk about what their key values are, what their two top values are, when they do that, there is something that happens in their bodies and that thing is like a rising into self. I watch it happen and it's the way people, they stand, they speak their truth, they introduce themselves in their true nature when they say what their two key values are. And you can always tell when someone has found their values because there is a wholeness that comes from them. And again, in the Quaker tradition, the self would be part of the wholeness. So most religious and spiritual traditions have a description and an idea of what the self is. 
And I would argue that the nervous system has an idea of what the self is. So in the nervous system, if we think about polyvagal theory, when we are in ventral vagal at the very top of our polyvagal system, at the part of our parasympathetic nervous system where we are engaged, we are safe, that allows us emotionally to be joyful, to be compassionate, to be curious, to be connected, to be all the things that happen to us when we are working in that part of our system. That is when we are able to really fully, truly experience selfhood. So this is a pretty interesting thing if we can map it both to a scientific, empirically based neurobiological part of the body at the same time as we're able to map it against the great spiritual traditions. And of course, that to me is perfection. That's my perfection when science and spirituality meet and have a discussion and agree. So when we're talking about the self, we are talking about the part of us that feels safe enough to be connected, sticking with the nervous system. If you aren't across polyvagal theory or you're just sort of coming to the podcast in this episode, episode one is where we really break that down. So that's a nice place to go to if you want to have a TLDR on what it all is. At the top of our ladder, at the top of our polyvagal ladder, at the part of our nervous system where we are safe, where we are connected, where we feel loved and loving, where we can access all of those emotions, that is the part of us where the self really gets to come out and play. Just letting that puppy I spoke about outside so he can stop scratching and eating his bone. Again, this is probably not textbook perfection of podcast recording, but you know what? I love dogs and I don't want him to suffer. So there we are in our selfhood at the top of our ladder. In a spiritual sense, in the spiritual traditions, the idea of self is that it is, to use a very spiritual term, it's a divine part of us. It's the part of us that is in need of nothing and it comes in this perfect form. So again, in a spiritual sort of world, the part of us that is divine, the part of us that is self, beginningless, endless, you know, it would be described in various traditions as literally being a reflection of spirit, creator, God, however you want to describe it. And again, if you want to describe it in less spiritual terms, in more scientific terms, it was, is the place of us where we are fully regulated, we are safe, and also where we are in a flow state. A flow state comes from that place of selfhood as well. But in the spiritual tradition, sticking with that, because it's an area, of course, that I really like to wallow around in, that idea of the divinity of us as divine creation speaks really strongly to perfection because what it says is that how we showed up in this lifetime, in this body, in this life is nothing more and nothing less. It's exactly what's needed. It's exactly where we're meant to be. It's who we're meant to be. It's what we're meant to be. The problem with humanity and the problem with being human, is it a problem? Maybe not. The reality of humanity is that we adapt and we change throughout our lives based on the experiences we have. And given that many of us will have experiences that involve developmental trauma or those little T traumas, or even the big T traumas, the shock traumas, we adapt and change and our nervous systems maladapt and change to keep us safe. So as they are doing that, and as we are going along that journey with them, the capacity to really operate from selfhood tends to get shrouded, eroded, or covered in armour. That's a Brene kind of expression for it. 
an internal family systems expression with this work of Richard Swartz would be that we have a lot of protectors that come and they kind of cover over that part of us. In internal family systems, the self never changes. Much like when I spoke about values before, when I'm teaching about values, values don't change. They might be bent out of shape. They might not be activated. They might not be embodied because of circumstance, but they sit there and they are part of the driving force that lets us know when we're really out of alignment with our lives. In IFS, there's an idea that the self unchanging, when we are experiencing trauma of any sort, but particularly when we're experiencing those sort of extreme developmental traumas, that part of us leaves the body. It's not there. It's not present. It can't be damaged. So what gets damaged is then adapted through the protectors and the exiles and the firefighters. So those three parts are the things that come in and evolve to be able to keep the body safe. Now, if we're talking in terms of the nervous system, again, I'm moving between these two things because I think they're quite interchangeable. The nervous system would be mapped in the same way. So we're up the top in ventral vagal, we're safe and secure. We're in the self. We're in our sympathetic nervous system. We're really functioning with our protectors. Sometimes when we tip over into a really sort of heightened self, a heightened sense of our sympathetic nervous system, we're in our firefighters. And when we're in our shame bodies, in our wounded parts, in our exiles, we're down in dorsal vagal, in the bottom of our nervous system. So in all of those places, we can also map ourselves to the self. Back to perfection. So we come in this perfect known self that grows and evolves and if it didn't have a lot of trauma if it had a lot of resilience if it was in an attached kind of family that little human with the self inside it can grow up to be someone who operates largely from a place of self what that looks and feels like is that you feel safe in the world you feel really connected other humans are there to be connected with to feel joy about to feel love for what happens in your life, what gets thrown at you, it's not a problem, even though it can be problematic because it's impermanent and you know it's going to pass. So again, there's a whole lot of concepts that are brought into spiritual traditions and brought into religious traditions that really inform how we would describe selfhood. And again, in the work that Brene was doing or did in her research, particularly around Dare to Lead, there's a part of the book that talks about research that was undertaken that looked at the people who were most resilient in the world. And those people in the research that was done all had several attributes in common. One of them was that they had a really tight community. They had lots of people they were well connected with. The other one was that they had really great, really strong boundaries. And the third one was that they had some kind of faith. So they had this concept of something that was bigger than them, that was more meaningful than them, that they weren't just them little individual bobbing around in the world, that they actually had this connection to a greater place of meaning and purpose. So those three components are really interesting because I would also say that the people that have those elements are also the people that are most able to co-regulate or regulate themselves in their nervous systems to take them up to that place of ventral vagal so that place where they're really connected happy feeling well adjusted so therein lies the perfection and I think this is why when I've been thinking so much and doing so much therapy with people using IFS I've been really thinking about 
what it is when we start removing those layers of protection, when we start removing those layers of armor. And sometimes for the first time, I'm witnessing my clients seeing their selves without the language of their protectors, without the language of shame or trauma that's coming up through their exiles. When for a moment they stop hating themselves or criticizing themselves or being too much or too little or too thin or too fat or too whatever it is that is the constant narrative that protectors have brought in to keep them safe or exiles have brought in to remind them of why they want to play small. When they just have a moment of sitting in this selfhood where there is nothing else needed except who they are and seeing themselves turning back to look at themselves in this perfection and it is such an incredible sweet moment to to witness and to honor in someone else and this is where when we seem to push perfection away because we see perfectionism as such a scourge in our society what we're doing inadvertently is we are nullifying selfhood and we are disavowing selfhood which unfortunately seems to be a fairly big facet of how we are in society. So let's just take a moment to reflect. Cue the bird sounds. So there's plenty of big concepts I've just dropped there, but the main one that we really want to hold on to at this point is that when we are perfect beings, what that means is that we are operating directly, constantly from our selfhood, not operating from our protectors and armor, not operating from our trauma and our shame, not operating from a constant numbing down of the things that hurt us. We're just able to be. We are humans being. And the beautiful part about this is that we don't have to do anything except work on the removal and the softening of those things which shroud us and cloud us because that perfection exists there. Even if you've had a lot of trauma, even if you feel like, you know, I had a client say to me the other day who had experienced a lot of trauma and was still experiencing that trauma, that they didn't even really know what their self is. And which is quite common for those who are very traumatized, the overaction of exiles and protectors and firefighters has been absolutely the thing for their whole lives because that's what's kept them safe. But in us and within us is the perfection of our beings, the perfection of our selfhood. Now, perfectionism, on the other hand, is something that's really almost, a, well, it's a medicalized kind of pathologized term. <sighs> Sigh. I see perfectionism as really the affect of not enoughness. And not enoughness makes complete sense if we are coming from any form of developmental trauma or epigenetic trauma or any trauma that has been with us since our earliest developmental memories. Because the things that happen to us don't happen because of us. But our brains and our nervous systems as little ones, we don't have the subtlety, we don't have the nuance to be able to make that differential. So we think in our small self-oriented or non-self-oriented way that everything is about us. And also our nervous systems are telling us a very true story, which is that if the big adults who are there to protect us, they might be doing the best they can, but if the best they can isn't really helping us out, we've only got two options. One option is that we are unsafe all the time because those are the people that are raising us. 
That's not the best option as far as our nervous systems are concerned. So the other option for the story that we tell ourselves is that it's our fault. When we are at fault, we have control. It's so counterintuitive, but it's so crazily exactly how the nervous system works. So those little imprints get put into our systems when we're tiny, often very much before consciousness, and we believe them and we just live those truths. So to stop not being enough, because if we were enough, so the logic of the immature brain and nervous system goes, we would be safer, we would be loved by our parents, we wouldn't be in danger, we wouldn't be experiencing violence or neglect or simply the neglect of preoccupied others that allows us to be unseen, unheard and having our feelings unmet. So the 1 plus 1 equals 25 logic of our little kitty brains, hearts and minds is we've got to do better. If we just do better, we can create that loving safety that we are suddenly missing in our nervous system. And so the die is cast for a lifetime of striving and not enoughness, which we label as perfectionism, which instantly we feel, oh, perfectionism is bad, being perfect is bad. And so, as I said in the introduction, that tends to fall into the classic lazy binary of our lives, which is if it's not perfectionism we're after, the opposite part of that is imperfection. So we go with imperfection. Imperfection has its flaws because if it's the binary that allows us to not strive, overwork, beat ourselves up, hate ourselves, self-criticize, there is a part of us that will always be referencing imperfection as not enoughness as well and so we get stuck in this not enoughness sandwich we can't strive we can't overwork because we can't be perfectionists but imperfection doesn't allow us to be working in our beautiful divinity either it doesn't allow us necessarily to be working from self because the self wants to see our engagement with the world as something which has the, that divinity and that perfection in it so imperfection then undersells and undercuts what it is to just be being. It's complex and it's a Gordian kind of knot of thoughts. But I'm planting the seeds for your own reflection and for your own thoughts about where do you sit in this binary of perfection and imperfection. I want us to find a place in the middle and that place sort of is in the middle in a theoretical sense it's in the middle in a metaphorical sense but it's also in the middle in a literal sense for me the self resides in the heart space it resides in that part of our chest which is not the part of our body necessarily that is the part where our ventral vagal nerves are really concentrated they're really concentrated in the head around the face back of the neck that's where that part of the nervous system is activated however the heart is the conduit which all of our vagus nerve runs through and also our sympathetic nervous system runs through. It's the part that the ANS is largely regulating in many ways and is the central part of how our neurobiology is you know, fanning out to our whole bodies. But in that metaphorical sense, the heart is the place where we experience love in its purest form, love in its connected form, in its compassionate form, in its bigness, in its meaning. You know, I would argue, again, from my perspectives in the world, from my beliefs in the world, that love is the heart. Love is the central energy of transmission, the central energy of transaction. It is the thing that really connects all of us together. So it makes sense to me that the self is in the middle and the self is the middle ground. When we come from a place of love and compassion, we come from a place of acceptance and we come from a place of generosity. 
which doesn't mean that we don't come from a place of boundaries. And this brings in that idea that Brene was talking about in Dare to Lead, where the people who are the most happiest, the most regulated, are the people who are the most connected, the most able to be resilient to the things that come along in life. They're people who are the most generous in the intentions they have for others, but they know how to have boundaries. Boundaries with compassion. What's okay for me? What's not okay for me? I know what to ask for. I know how to meet my own needs. And when I meet my own needs first, and when I'm caring and compassionate to the needs of myself, I'm then able to turn my attention to caring and being compassionate for others from a place of infinite resources. This is the other thing I find really magical about the self and the idea of self-energy. And also as humans that we're being self-led. When we come from that place of self-energy, we come from a place where there is limitless energy because that part of us is beginningless and endless. It's not a part where we are drawing to the point of exhaustion. It's the part where we are able to really find those resources. And this is where when we are in a flow state, when we're in that place where we are doing something we really love, when we're really working from that place of connection and meaning, you know, you can go for hours and it never feels tiring. It feels like you could really just keep on going and there's something that's so energizing about it. It feels so good. And we all know what it's like to work from that place of you're really dredging up the slides. You're just trying to pull every bit of energy out of yourself and you feel really exhausted and you also feel really unfulfilled. So when we come from that place of self-energy, we have this lightness to us, we have this capacity, we have this wisdom, we're bringing in all of the intuitive knowledge of all of the parts of the body, not just the brain, but the gut mind, the heart mind, all of our nervous system is regulating well, we're moving into sympathetic and parasympathetic states in ways which support our ongoing capacity, but we also know when to stop, we know when to rest, we know when to say no, we know when to choose what is right for us. And we don't feel guilty, we don't feel shame, we don't feel resentment, and we don't feel not enoughness. And this is where, when we are working from self, we can be in a place of perfection. We can be perfect, because perfect is what is right for us, what is from self-energy, and what is led by values. And what an amazing place that is to be, if we were all coming from that place. And Richard Schwartz talks about this in his book, No Bad Parts, which is a book all about the internal family systems model. He says if we are all self-led and if we are working through the protectors, the firefighters, the exiles, the things that hold us outside of being in selfhood, we not only have time and energy for ourselves, we have time and energy for our families, for our communities. We understand the greater impacts on people when we are selfish with our resources, when we are clinging onto things, when we are stockpiling things because we believe that we need everything and there's not enough. We come from an instant place of abundance. We come from a place of enoughness, which also means that we don't mess with resources. We don't mess with the planet. We understand the importance of nature and what it gives to us and what we can give to it, everything becomes more balanced. I know this sounds like a crazy utopia, but it's exactly the kind of utopia we need in a world where we are driven by motives that are so much around fear and lack and so little around connected selfhood. And in talking about the language of self, so perfectionism, imperfection, or really what it is to just be in self. I also want to talk about another set of words that we use all the time in a way that's really pejorative. We use it sort of almost in a weaponized way. When we talk about being selfish, 
being selfish. It's like no one wants to be called selfish because the minute we're called selfish, it's like we're only thinking of ourselves. Are we really self-motivated? We don't care for others. Selfish to me as a concept is in that place of sympathetic nervous system overdrive, dorsal vagal overdrive. It's when we're isolated and alone and grasping because we're terrified that there's not going to be enough. So when I talk about self things now, I tend to have a different sort of hygiene around my language. So I like things to be self-led. I love the idea of being self-centered because I think self-centered as against selfish means that we attend to ourselves first. We come from our center. We come from that middle ground and we emanate outwards once we've really cared for ourselves first. That's the important part that we really attend lovingly and compassionately to what we need to get ourselves really fully thriving and growing from that place so we can then turn our attention to face outwards and really start looking at how we can connect with others how we can be with others that's it my friends they're my thoughts what are your thoughts i'm really interested to know how this percolates out with you This has been a really big piece of thinking for me around not sort of heading towards talking about perfection from this place of criticism, but instead talking about what it is to just be perfect. There's a lightness to it. There's a completeness to it. There's a non-striving to it. And there's absolutely not a not enoughness to it. Because when we are self-led, we just are. And what it is, is so great. And we can look at ourselves with absolute love and compassion and humor and wholeness and keep going and just keep going in a way that feels that we are doing what we are meant to do whatever that is I invite your thoughts I invite your reflections and I invite you to really get familiar with self if this feels a really foreign concept to you start forensically looking for the self in yourself Look for your big S moments. When are you connected? When do you feel most that you are out of your body in a way that is expansive? Not in a way that's dissociative, but in a way that's really expansive. When do you feel that swelling of your heart, that connection with others, that sense of loved and being loved? And if you don't feel that, maybe you can start thinking about finding ways to take yourself there. In an upcoming episode, I'm going to do a whole episode on how we move ourselves up into that higher part of our nervous system what are some of the tools and tricks and techniques we can use to sort of engage our polyvagal system in its highest part but for now i leave you with the birds i leave you with the joy of that barking puppy wherever he's gone and i leave you with the knowledge that you are perfect and you are enough exactly as you are We've pollied, we've vagued, we've theoried, we've done it all. Thank you for joining me in this episode. I hope you are now absolutely perfect in every part of yourself. Thanks for being a fan of the podcast. Reach out to me on anywhere you find Polly McGee, Instagram, LinkedIn, through my website. Let me know how you're feeling. Let me know what else you want to see in the podcast and I will be coming at you 
with friends with polyvague theories in episodes to come. <laughs>